you back once again to another episode of the One Giant Podcast, where as always, I am Adam Armbrecht, and there he is, a healthy, wealthy, merry and wise, Andy Makowitz. It's Friday. I see a dance number. You know what I mean? It feels like it's that kind of morning. It's nice in, in, in the, the crisp weather. We said it last time, dude. The, the weather is perfect for, for yours truly. Couldn't be better. It feels like fall. It feels like fall football. It feels like the, the beverages I was talking about last time, Adam. I'm in a flannel. That's that's you know the time of year. Gauge it, gauge it by my gauge it by my attire. We we come in obviously ahead of the Chicago Bears matchup, so we're gonna get into that. We got a special guest, as we mentioned in the previous episode. Before we do though, Andy, let me ask you a personal question. You find yourself out there in the marketplace. Now you're in sales, obviously. Let's say one of those big wigs at Salesforce reached out to you just out of college. Maybe as you were just starting out at a low-level company, trying to get your feet wet in the sales game, and the big wig at Salesforce calls you up and he says, buddy, we want you. What would your reaction be to that? Because Patrick Graham found himself in a similar situation years ago, and he had a very interesting response. I want to see where you would go with it. I guess I would say why would be the first question that I would ask, or I wouldn't ask any question at all, and I would just say, I'm in. Doesn't matter. Whatever you say, I want it. So on the one hand, Patrick Graham did not ask any questions either. However, he chose to hang up. That was Bill Belichick calling Patrick Graham (laughs) after he had uh, just committed to. I'll I'll see if I can remember uh, where he had just started. He called Bill uh, called up, uh, excuse me, Patrick Graham and said, we want you to come out here and be a part of the New England Patriots. He immediately hung up thinking that it was a prank. And then it ended up being through uh, a couple of intermediaries that Graham got back on the line. He resigned from his college job one month later and went on to join the Patriots. And, and, and now we have him on the New York football Giants. So people take the chance, right? Don't worry about uh, whether or not it entirely makes sense in your mind in the moment. Just say yes, baby. Swing for the fences. Yes. So before we get into this as well, a little bit of a note from last week coming off of uh, the Pittsburgh matchup. We said the offensive line struggled. This is a tricky one for me because it's both positive and then maybe uh, negative in, in the big picture. When we talk about the offensive line, our young left tackle Thomas was, in fact, the most highest graded offensive lineman against Pittsburgh overall. Now, his overall grade was only a 60.8. The run blocking came in at 64.7, and then the pass blocking at 53.8. This is, of course, coming per pro football focus. The The problem here for me is quickly is that we're talking about him, one, that in a, in a game where the Giants struggled so much in the run, that was his better side of his splits, which is what you expected from him coming into the season. Are, is it should it be concerning or 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 a buoy that he's the highest rate offensive lineman in Week One for us? I'm I'm literally scratching my head because yeah, I don't know. Like we always go by the eye test, and, and certainly analytics, you know, you can break down anything and and understand it a little bit better. But it felt like the pass protection on the left hand side of Daniel Jones was actually really good. Um, you know, we focused in on on Cam Fleming on the right-hand side and, and thought yeah. that that was our our biggest issue. I, I don't I don't really remember any time that Andrew Thomas was was fooled or really beat and gave a clean, you know, shot to, you know, to Daniel Jones. So so to me that's surprising. It did feel like 
everyone on the offensive line was getting pushed back at least a yard or two in the run game. So the fact that they graded him higher in the run game is surprising to me, but maybe there was just different breakthroughs on, on different pieces of the line. And Andrew Thomas was the only one that was actually engaging and holding his, his guy near the line of scrimmage. I, I don't know. There's, there's four guys in the backfield before Saquon gets the ball. I just assumed that everybody was struggling. When the uh, water runs through the colander, try to pick out which hole was the real problem in keeping that water in the pot, right? Right. There's four, there's four guys in the backfield. I just assume that like across the offensive line, everyone's whiffing, but uh, you know, I'm surprised to see that. I'm actually just, you know, not, not necessarily surprised to see that he was okay in the run game. Just surprised that they had him graded so low in the pass game when it, I don't know if there was a sack that was credited against him in the pass blocking game, but I could be wrong. And that's that little footnote we talked about when you think about, again, Saquon Barkley working on his pass protection as well. We saw a couple of plays where, where Barkley ended up going the same way with Thomas. You don't know, right? What was supposed to happen there? It could have ended up actually being in those instances that Thomas was supposed to go the other way, and that's why Barkley gets caught behind him. All things to keep an eye on as we as we move ahead towards the Bears game. Before we dive in on some of our conversation, what we're looking forward to in that matchup coming up on Sunday at 1 p.m., we talked to the guest that we alluded to, the mystery man behind the curtain. It was Will from the Chicago Audible podcast. It was really great for him to give us a little bit of his time. We talked both about the matchup and then also some, some big picture things for Chicago. So we're going to check in with him first and then come in on the back end and really break it down for you how are you sir thank you for being in hey i'm doing great thank you for having me i'm glad to be the first i hopefully that doesn't bring a lot of added pressure to myself but i'm excited to be your first one of the 2020 season there are going to be expectations set in on this so just to be clear uh you better you better bring the game here you be- and also you better bring answers that really make the giants fan base feel strong about what we're facing um <laughs> Listen, you guys come off of a nice division win. Just so for a background standpoint of where you, how you felt about the team, where were you on the Bears coming into this season? Were you a, a pro Mitch Trubisky winning that job over Nick Foles? How did you look at them as they faced Detroit week one? Sure. I mean, like you guys, I'm sure you're in the same boat. You didn't get a lot of info, a lot of insight. Usually we got a training camp, so it was very much in the dark. Uh, when you're looking at our quarterback situation, I wasn't really pro any quarterback. They both have their drawbacks. They both have their pros, definitely some cons with each. And my mindset throughout all of, well, no OTAs, but the training camp, what we saw was whoever wins, at least hopefully the Bears should be better for it at quarterback, whether that's Mitchell Trubisky stepping up and being able to supplant Nick Foles and make sure he doesn't take away his job. Or if it was Nick Foles coming in, and if he ended up winning that starting job week one, then I guess we would have known our answer on Mitchell Trubisky, and we would have at least had a better quarterback instead. So for me, I didn't care one way or the other. I just wanted the Bears to have a better quarterback situation compared to a year ago, whether it's Mitch stepping up, Nick Foles taking over, and I know we've only played one game. Very impressed with Mitch's fourth quarter against the Lions. The rest of the game was tough but depends on how you want to look at this week one because there wasn't a preseason so there is going to be some rust we'll see how it goes but for me I wouldn't be surprised to see Nick Foles eventually probably at one point or another this season yeah you know one of the things that I was thinking about Will was just kind of the the complete difference between quarters one through three and the fourth quarter where you know Trubisky throws for three touchdowns has 80 percent completion percentage it felt like they almost made a quarterback change at the start of the fourth (laughs) quarter but it was Mitch Trubisky you know, for, for Giant fans, can you talk a little bit about what they should be expecting? Should they be, be expecting first three quarters, Mitch, game time clutch, Mitch? What, what are Giant fans looking forward to? 
I wish I can tell you. I wish I knew what kind of Mitch I was going to get week in, week out, but that's rare when that's going to happen. Probably somewhere in the middle, and that's usually what we've seen out of Mitch over the years. Uh, what we saw in the fourth quarter was a lot of that no huddle, that hurry-up offense. And whenever Mitch, whenever he's not too worked up in his own head, that's when you start seeing him play a little bit more effectively. Uh, whenever Matt Nagy, our head coach, who's also our play caller, gets a little bit overly creative or maybe some complex in the route schemes and his overall progression, you tend to see him overthink. He misses wide open underneath routes. Uh, there's actually a few plays from the last game that still kind of stick to my craw a little bit where he's forcing it downfield in between two, three Lions defenders. But he had Jimmy Graham, uh, tight end, crossing on a route underneath. That should have been an easy first down completion. Same thing with the rookie wide receiver, Darnell Mooney. Uh, so he's missing some of those easier reads, uh, trying to be a little, a little overly aggressive, which again, uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? If you take the checkdowns, you're just going to be known as a checkdown guy. If you push it downfield in some tight coverage and it ends up going in the wrong hand or incomplete, fans aren't happy about that either. But to answer your question, when it comes to Mitch, probably somewhere in the middle is what I would expect uh, for him, at least next week versus the Giants. That's the weird part about in the offseason, at least from afar, too, because you think about quarterback movement and that kind of stuff. It, it felt like you expected the Bears to go naturally in the direction of Nick Foles. But I think the safeguard is if you move away from Mitchell Trubisky, that's the end of Mitchell Trubisky. There is no coming back to him. You can always go to Nick Foles. But if you, if you start out with Nick Foles, at least the fan base is going to say, well, that's it then. You go ahead and draft the young quarterback next year and let's move on from it. So I was, I was happy for him. I usually tend to look at any other team, any other, especially young quarterbacks too, because it feels like you are on the bubble the second that you have that first bad game in year one or early in year two. Giants fan base went ahead and honed in on a, on a particular interception for Daniel Jones in week one and felt like that's it. We got to go ahead and be prepared to draft a guy going into next season. So quarterback relative, I, I try to be relaxed about it, but Mitchell Trubisky is one that I've been curious about. We'll, we'll put it that way. From a, from a weapon standpoint now, there's a lot of options there. You mentioned Jimmy Graham is now in that fold. It feels like he's the evergreen tight end now. I thought that his career may have fizzled out a little bit sooner, but he keeps trudging along. Andy, you're very curious about it both on the field and off the field matchup. Yeah, one of the things that we're curious about is, is the situation with Allen Robinson. And knowing that he is the big-time number one wide receiver, knowing that he is still young, he feels like he's been in the league forever you know, when he started with the Jaguars, but he's only 27 years old. You know, It's starting to come out in public. Usually you like these things behind closed doors. The, the contract discussion where you know Allen Robinson is now saying he almost feels insulted by some of the offers that the Bears have given him, and he hasn't formally requested a trade, but there's a lot of talk about if they're not going to pay me, I'd, I'd rather play somewhere else. Do you feel like that is a, you know, a big situation? Is it the media just hyping it up? And do you think it's going to impact anything on the field come Sunday? Great questions. I wish I can give you really good answers, and I had some of that firsthand insight. Um, as a Chicago Bears fan, this one hurts my heart uh, just because he is someone who, as great as he is on the field that you guys have seen uh, as that number one receiver, in many ways, he's Mitch's security blanket. Uh, if he's going to lock on a guy, it's always going to be on Allen Robinson. And for uh, on the field, you know everything you can bring, but for maybe Giants listeners, like off the field, this dude's tremendous. Always putting in the work in the community, always working for you know multiple charities, being a good social advocate. He really does represent the city of Chicago in such a great light. And the fact that they're not even giving him offers that he feels comfortable with or even close on, like he's being offended by them. And for the bears that uh, they spent a lot of money uh, this offseason, like on Robert Quinn, 
They spent a lot of money a couple years ago on a Cleo Mack. They've brought in people, Jimmy Graham as well, uh, some internal re-signings like linebacker Danny Trevath, and we still have a decent amount of cap space. I, I don't understand. This isn't a money issue, and I'm confused and concerned as to why this even is an issue. All offseason, usually in Chicago, we'll sign someone who's up for a contract in like September, first week of September, second mm-hmm. week of September, right before the season begins. It's kind of like an annual thing we do. We extend our guys. We kept saying, yeah, wait till September. It'll happen. Right before week one, it'll happen. What? Okay, maybe it'll happen like around <laughs> week two. And here we are. We're still here. So right. I don't know why they can't come to an agreement. I don't know why the Bears are being so coy with it. I know they don't like it going so public. So I think with Robinson, what you're seeing is a lot of maybe some negotiation tactics. You're getting fans now to get some hashtags trending. You're getting teammates to chime in as well, telling the Bears, like adding the social media account, which we all know doesn't help. Like there's this intern running that thing, but they're adding the social media, like, hey, extend the man. Like we have teammates doing that. Right. So it is a little bit more public. So maybe it is a little bit more fire at the Bears' feet to make a real offer and get it done because I don't want him to be out of Chicago. I love for him to retire Bear. He's a great player, a great guy off of the field. And for a team like the Chicago Bears that I know we've had like a Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey, uh, but before then, ugh, it was just always hard to find a good number one receiver, and I would hate to see one leave in an Allen Robinson just due to probably a few million dollars. Well, and the problem, too, to me is, is you mentioned about the off the field, and I know that it's not – this isn't the make or break about players, right? Talent on the field is what wins the day. That's why guys that get into sometimes off the field issues still find themselves on rosters because they're so good. But it's like for for, for us, I look at – the Odell Beckham Jr. thing, not a lot of off the field issues, but not necessarily the best team guy per se. When you make that switch, you can debate the, you know, drafting the, the, the running back at number two, but you bring in Barkley and now he is the embodiment of the New York Giant franchise and he says all the right things. And that's when it gets rough to watch him behind an offensive line that struggles last week and feel like we're, we're just going ahead and running that guy right, right into the ground over his first rookie contract. But you like to see the best guys get rewarded and it definitely stings when whether it's organizationally hedging their bets trying to see if they're going to pull the plug and maybe go into a full rebuild you hate to see it linger over into the season because maybe it doesn't but i it can have an impact on sunday absolutely i mean yeah i'd be po'd right you're out there you're playing on sunday and i mean heck he's tweeting about it he's scrubbing his social media he has a game sunday he should be focusing on that so even if it's not like He's actually thinking about this contract when he's out there in third and long, but if it's eating into his preparation time and he's really micro focused on that, when he should be looking at this game easily can impact that game on Sunday. Well, Will, do you think the contracts that have been given out to DeAndre Hopkins and and others this offseason, you know, they're seeing now guys are making 20, some are making $22 million, you know, even a 14 or $15 million offer from the bears may seem like a low ball offer knowing what the market rate is at this point. Do you really think that those new contracts are, are impacting these negotiations right now? Well, they have to, I mean, that's just how the NFL works. So yeah. I mean, unfortunately I think for the bears, they should have got it done sooner. They probably would have got him happy. They would have had him under contract longer term for a much cheaper price. And when you see any of those other receivers that you just mentioned, getting those bigger price tags into the twenties, is, and I mean, Allen Robinson, he's humble, but he also knows who he is and how much he's worth. And he's like, hey, I can play as good as that guy. So where's my money? I mean, it really helps him uh, in terms of whatever that next contract comes, hopefully in Chicago, but it doesn't help the Bears pockets one bit. 
and that's the thing about uh, I spent years the, the idea of well you want guys to take maybe a team friendly deal or you know you don't want guys to be greedy but I, I shifted very much as I've gotten older we were talking before we started we're at, we're all adults we're all you know having our careers and being like right but it's about valuing yourself and, and, and receiving what the market will bear so I very quickly got away from the idea of you know be a team guy just do what it takes to stay on like no because then you tweak an ankle and all of a sudden things look very differently for you and also, by, maybe by the way, for Robinson specifically, you look at your quarterback and you say, listen, I might be even better than what my stats are able to be here over the past couple of years with the quarterbacks that we've had. I've, I've almost taken the discount by, by not wanting to get out of here and go play with the Aaron Rodgers, with the Tom Brady's, with the Drew Breeses of the world. Yeah, I mean, he had Blake Bortles. He had Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, there's been rumblings that he wanted Nick Foles to win the job. So that's just another right. way that maybe you can, you know, disgruntle someone that you should probably try to keep happy now more let's go into now the game obviously coming up here when i when i look across and i look at chicago my first concern is on the defensive side of the ball if i look and i see mac and i see smith and i see hicks and i see a ton of talent there that that maybe it's the most obvious spot to look at especially how the giants struggled in run protection last week is there another matchup there, though, from a Bears defensive perspective that they're going to look to expose? Or is it, hey, we hit them up front first and we deal with everything else on the back end? Yeah, I think that's what's going to be. Uh, like you said, your offense line didn't have a good Monday night game. So I would envision the Bears, they're going to find a way to try to exploit that. Uh, with Cleo Mack especially, he's someone who, even if he's not making sacks, he's going to get hurries, he's going to get pressures, and he's going to force the play to run a little bit quicker than it needs to be. I don't know if it's a matchup that's exploiting, but at least for your listeners, I would watch our rookie cornerback, Jalen Johnson. He's going to be starting. He's our left cornerback. The Bears are one of those teams. They don't flip-flop guys. They keep them on the same side mm-hmm. of the field. Uh, so Kyle Fuller is always the right outside cornerback. This year, Jalen Johnson, he's our 50th overall pick. He was our second pick in the draft. Uh, he had his NFL debut on Sunday against D- Detroit, and he did a really good job going up against Marvin Jones, hanging out with the guys like that. I know Slayton for you had a really big game, and I would envision the Giants would like to test that rookie. So that would be a matchup to watch for you, Slayton versus Jalen Johnson. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You're, you're a man uh, of our own heart because you started talking about QB pressures and hits and getting into the backfield, which most Giant fans only look at Leonard Williams and they think if he doesn't have sacks, he's not impacting the game. So mm-hmm. it's it's the same type of thing with Cleo Mack where he impacts the game and it doesn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet in the categories that most people like to look at. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I can get after a game and like, geez, clearly had three tackles, that's it. And then you get a little frustrated. Then you go rewatch the game with a little bit less emotion behind it. And you can see, even if he's not even getting a true pressure, you can see all the attention he's getting. And if you have to put all that attention on one guy, that helps free up a few other guys on this defense as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, you guys talked about up front. I don't know how much you know about our safety, Eddie Jackson, but he's one of the better ones in the league as well. Good ball hawking safety, always around the football. A really good guy who can roam over the center field and close in a hurry. So he's a really good, strong free safety. Strong free safety? Yeah, we can go for that as a term. You know what I mean, Um, but he is a safety here for the Bears. There is no expectation of being held to this. We will not blast this out on Twitter uh, pregame if it's a little bit off. But do you do you anticipate building off of that Detroit game and feeling like again it really comes down to fourth quarter performance? Do you think that the, that the Bears at least unlock something a little bit? Because when I come out of the Giants game, I go, boy, that, 
the Steelers are a really sound team. And for the most part, you get Roethlisberger back off of injury, but a lot of familiar faces there for them. Detroit up and down in that division, not always the most consistent, didn't have Galladay. So it's harder to put stock, I would think, in that game for the Bears, as opposed to as bad as our run offense looked, I go with the Giants and I say, but we did some really nice things though. So I can hang my hat on some stuff in a difficult matchup. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. It, to me as well, it goes back to the point of no preseason, how much rust was actually apparent for every team that played really in week one, yeah. how much are they going to change their approach here in week two? I think, I think for me, it always takes about, I don't know, four or six weeks to see what a team's all about and see exactly how they're going to fare for the majority of the season. So it is tough to tell. And uh, I believe the Bears should win. Uh, we haven't really talked about, I mean, a lot of the focus on Mitch, I understand that, but our running attack, uh, dating back to even the tail end of last year, I think we have over 100 yards rushing out of four of our last five games. Uh, so we have done a good job of establishing the run, which has been an issue in Chicago over the last two seasons. David Montgomery, he's healthy. He's looking good. We have Tariq Cohen as well in the backfield and our offensive line. We got a new offensive line coach that's really getting them hammering the fundamentals. We brought in a new right guard, Jermaine Effetti from Seattle, who looked really good in his debut. And we're bringing in a lot of tight end sets. We ran a lot of three tight end sets. I think you guys did the same thing on Monday night too. Not to as really, we're, we're, you know, we're lining the guys up anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're out there. Uh, they're trying, uh, but we did it successfully. Uh, they're really helping establish a run, uh, dominate the line of scrimmage and actually generate push, which we didn't get to see a lot of that last season. Um, so for me, the Bears can run the ball. I know the Steelers got some good success on it as well. Dominate, or not dominate, but control the time of possession. Mitchell limits his mistakes, uh, which he did limit overall big mistakes against Detroit. He just His accuracy sometimes will go astray. And if he can step up and make some throws, defense plays to the degree that I expect them to. It'll be a close game. I think the Giants-Bears games over the last three seasons, or three of the last four seasons, have been pretty close. As of right now, I'll give it 21-17 Bears. If you want oh, me to nice. put a score behind it, I was going to even give you the the out of, and we'll we'll, we'll hold you to that. Too one. late now. Too you late know, now. I know that's now we can lock them into it. We'll we'll check in with you on Sunday and get an official prediction after you've gotten your chance to do some research. But going into your prep for for your show, what on on the Giants side of the ball are you looking at, offensively or defensively? Where do you find the biggest level of concern around the Giants? Offensively, right now, it's Slayton. I mean, Barkley is dangerous, but if your offensive line allows him to get contacted, I think the metric was 1.3 yards behind the line of scrimmage on average. Uh, Great, that on that run, that's how you want to do it. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to help him, right? You can have the best running back back there, but if he's getting contacted behind the line of scrimmage consistently, even if he breaks four tackles, he's gaining like two yards. Yeah. Uh, so if you guys don't have that same push, uh, that doesn't concern me. Slayton, uh, he seemed pretty dynamic and like he and Jones have some really good chemistry. So I feel that would be one to watch for, even if they make some big plays, as long as the bears can find a way to, Ensure those don't change the game, any big long touchdowns or anything of those that nature. Um, on defense, I'm curious, what do you think is the strength of defense that we should watch out for? That's the one that I've been trying to do some homework on. It seems like your defensive ends, if they're 100% and they're really playing to the level that they should, those could be perhaps, to me, the biggest concern. I, I keep an eye on our linebacking core, brought in Blake Martinez, obviously in free agency. Mm-hmm. A lot of fans were looking at Ogletree and saying, this isn't that big of an upgrade over him. Already proved week one. We were already on on the bandwagon of him being a quality upgrade. He proved that. He's a great support in the run game. So your point, if we want to try to hone in on our run defense, it is still going to be a guy that doesn't always quite get there to the quarterback, Leonard Williams. Dexter Lawrence in year number two, he's a little bit slimmer, a little more muscular, has a big body there as well. So I think because we are suspect 
in our secondary uh, across from Bradbury. We have Valentine, second-year guy, getting his first run really at the outside. If we can impact the run game, not dissimilar to what you saw last week, really, if we can focus in on shutting down the run game and then we'll take our chances with Trubisky, right? And we'll see how often we can match up and try to shut down Robinson and maybe we can expose Trubisky. You said he protected the ball well. I think we'll try to be forcing those turnovers, something we haven't done a great job yet in recent years. But that's going to be played. You know, point number one for us is going to be right up front, getting the pressure. And you saw last week against Pittsburgh when we weren't able to quite get there and even get near pressures. That's when you saw some of that exposure on the back end. So you have enough wide receivers and tight end talent that if we're not getting home in the pass game, that's going to be, I, I think, the recipe to success. And then it's the variable of, of Trubisky or, or, or Roethlisberger. Can you, can you mimic that type of performance? Yeah, really good stuff. I appreciate that. That'll help me uh, get jump started. Let me write some of this down. And we'll be good to go. Come on. Yeah, don't even bother. Don't even bother the show. You can loop this one right back out there. Uh, we know you have a tight window. I may have dominated the end of the conversation over Andy. That's not atypical to the podcast. Will, from the Chicago Audible podcast, everyone can check you out. Obviously, you said you've been doing this for over six years, the the labor of love from the college days, now taking it to the professional level. We appreciate your time. We'll check in with you over on social media come game day. Thank you again, man. We really appreciate it. And hopefully, uh, we'll give our predictions around game time. And Listen, let's get us to one and one. You guys got the easy divisional win. You can afford to sacrifice second week. No, I'm good. The first four weeks for us is what I'm hoping is the easy stretch, guys. No offense. <laughs> None taken. As most people do. Thanks again, Will. We'll catch up with you soon. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. Okay, Andy. So obviously some, some nice news and notes there around Chicago from Will's perspective. One of the areas that we knew we were going to touch on with him and that we were going to look at was going to be one Mitchell Trubisky. You mentioned it there with him, had that big fourth quarter in week one. The interesting thing for me is that with those three touchdowns, he still only went for 214 passing yards. So that's a, you know, balancing the books here when you go by just, hey, heck of a fourth quarter for you. And then the other thing from offense standpoint overall, two of 11 on third downs for the Chicago Bears. So what are you seeing from Trubisky heading into our matchup on Sunday? Yeah, well, so there's a couple of different things. I kind of looked at it. it. His actual stat line ended up being 20 for 36 for 243 and three touchdowns, um, which mm. you kind of look at and you say, oh, that's pretty decent. You know, three touchdowns, 104 passer rating. You'd sit there and say, Trubisky had a really great game, led the team to a fourth quarter comeback. Right. You know, when you actually start looking at some of the breakdown of it, you know, they didn't score a touchdown. Um, in the first half, they waited until the fourth quarter when they were down 17 to get things going. They only had six points um, going, you know, in, well into the third quarter. And when you think about some of the turnovers that happened, um, you know, the, the DeAndre Swift drop catch with about five mm-hmm. seconds to go, you, you, you start peeling back Mitch Trubisky's stats, and he had 89 yards and three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, Adam. If you take that away going into the fourth quarter, he had 150 yards no touchdowns, and his completion percentage was somewhere around 40 to 45% completion percentage. Oh, by, by the way, uh, just as, a, as as the footnote, it's because he lost 28 yards on a sack in this game. I did not realize that that was – so the effective cumulative numbers were 214. I was like, where, where did the other numbers go, come from there? So that's that little footnote there. Um, but, yes, you know, your point, one, one play away from Detroit getting that touchdown and all of those – big successes in the fourth quarter for Mitch look a lot smaller. Well, and and the other thing is they had to run a lot of no huddle and because they were behind by so much, 
they didn't actually keep Mitch to a scheme. And I, and you know, Will touched on this before that Mitch looked better when he doesn't have to think, which is a tough thing to say about a quarterback. The less thinking that the quarterback does, the better success we have. I, I don't know if I've ever really heard that before, but yeah, guys, uh, dumb, dumb, dumb as a post, but boy, can he sling it. Right, right, exactly. And so for me, that what, what I look at is I say, you know, wow, the Bears, you know, some people are saying they had some really good takeaways for Mitch. You know, he, he solidified himself with that comeback. I kind of take the three quarters and, and, and think about, man, he only had 150, no touchdowns, and wasn't completing 50% of his passes. That, to me, is a significant problem because that is the type of quarterback that Trubisky has shown to be over his first two years in the league. He hasn't shown to be the guy in the fourth quarter that brings it every single time that all of a sudden can come back and win you ball games. And so for me, rewatching some of that Lions film, it's pretty, con- you know, pretty concerning for, for Bear fans and gives the Giants a little bit of optimism going into this game on Sunday. Well, you think about right. Detroit's not the strongest defense in the world. We know that Matt Patricia is supposed to be doing that for them there, but he's been under the gun the last couple seasons as well. So, you know, relative to who you're facing and then to your point too, will alluded to this. We talked about Robinson and his contract situation. Robinson apparently was hoping that it was going to be uh, Nick Foles that won the starting job. And that's neither here nor there about Trubisky necessarily, but it is giving you an indication as nice as that bright spot is in the fourth quarter for Mitch, you still have to, th- the problem still exists, right? It's not a one-off here. You need to see him probably start to do it and consistently through all four quarters in this matchup against the giants for better or worse on our end in order to prove it. Keep in mind that Mitch Trubisky had the 30th rank total QBR, which accounts for drop passes and all that different stuff. It's a little bit more of an advanced metric. He was 30th in the league. He was sitting next to guys like, Mason Rudolph, Kyle Allen, and Dwayne Haskins. So when you put him in that, you know, when you put him in that illustrious group of quarterbacks, you understand what the expectation is going in. So for me, you know, watching the film and understanding what I saw, I I am cautiously optimistic about the defense's chances to really, you know, create some turnovers or, or, you know, make Mitch, Mitch Trubisky uncomfortable on Sunday. Yeah, me, me too, man. I, I know I don't want to harp on it. I, I took a lot of positives from week one. So, you know, Chicago doesn't scare me maybe overall in the same way that Pittsburgh would have. On the flip side of it now, though, when we think about this defense for the Chicago Bears, again, in this Detroit game where Matthew Stafford does not have his number one target in Galladay, they were still able to move that ball to the tune of 288 passing yards, 138 uh, rushing yards on the ground there. Uh, bright spot for them, maybe you can say on the uh, third down conversions, 38%, so sub 40 there uh, for the Lions offense against the Bears. But just by the numbers, and that's not the only way that you can do this, you got to look inside them. One big play can skew these. But just by the numbers, I at least take a step back and say, okay, there, there's threats across that defensive front, as we highlighted with Will, but there's yards to be had here. And we, and we saw that the Giants could move the ball through the air with absolutely zero run game. So again, I, I know I sound like a, like a broken, broken record, but the or more a well, or a well-tuned play or a well-tuned right? one, perhaps yeah. uh, the more insights I went into in terms of what the bears did against the lions on Sunday, especially with Gall- Galladay out um, you look at it. They only had one sack in the entire game. They mm-hmm. only had five QB hits in the entire game. They were not getting pressure on Matt Stafford. And he showed it by being able to move the ball, as you said, down the field. They really missed Robert Quinn in this game. You know, mm-hmm. he comes he comes over from the Cowboys, had 11 and a half sacks last year. He was supposed to be the guy that could get pressure on the quarterback, could help out Khalil Mack because he's a one-man wrecking crew 
Akeem Hicks on the on the inside was coming back a little bit from from injury. They they eased him in. He did he did play about seventy percent of the snaps, but but Adam they were not getting pressure on the quarterback, and that is usually the Giants' biggest challenge. Is their offensive line is is has been a sieve, giving up sacks left and right, and not giving Daniel Jones any time to throw the ball. Yeah, as of uh, this recording on a Friday, uh, illness for uh, one uh, Hicks. So he was held out of practice yesterday, and then you still have Quinn dealing with the ankle. So they're questionable coming into this weekend, and obviously that's going to drastically change how the Giants feel about the matchup if either or both of those pieces aren't there for this defense. Uh, and you're right, though. If, if you can, again it's not just the players for Pittsburgh. It was also the speed that they play with, right? If you're not facing the same level of immediate threat on the offensive side of the ball, that's going to allow those couple extra beats for Daniel Jones in the passing game. And then also maybe if if we can just get the ball at the offensive line for Saquon, maybe that gives us a chance to get that going a little bit earlier and starts to change the complexion in terms of a balanced attack. And I would say, you know, one of one of the key areas to to look at is what happens with Danny Trevathan, uh, you know, yeah. on on the Chicago Bears. He, he's in that linebacking core. He is a guy that they re-signed who was going to be a free agent. He's someone that I thought the Giants should look at in free agency. I do recall. Yes. He, he came back. And from what I'm hearing from a lot of the Bears team, it looks like he lost a little bit of a step. Now, it could be week one conditioning that's why i didn't want him to like i I just not it wasn't negative i remember this is like clicking my mind of just you're you're hedging your bets about when is the little bit of drop off going to come for a player like that right exactly and so you know people are saying it it looked like he was a step slower than what he was last year and this is you know bears reporters and beat writers saying this and it was not more apparent than on the last drive that matthew stafford had he had a big third down 35 yard play down the middle of the field with like no time left on the clock to Danny Amendola, that was Trevathan that was covering him. Danny Trevathan would have been the goat of the game had DeAndre Swift not dropped the ball because Trevathan was the one that was covering DeAndre Swift on the the, the first sure drop t- touchdown catch mm-hmm. with six seconds to go. So that's an interesting piece to me is that the middle of the field it could be open. Sterling Shepard looked pretty good across the middle. Mm-hmm. We know that Evan Ingram struggled mightily, but if he can find a way to turn it around that middle of the field might be a little bit of that underbelly weak spot that the Giants can start to exploit. Well, by the way, uh, Jason Garrett came out, Joe Judge came out as well in regards to Evan Ingram. You know, Garrett came out first and said, uh, we think that obviously he's going to be involved in all phases of the game for us. Joe Judge came out and, and had words to the effect of, he, he loves that Ingram goes 100 miles an hour in, in practice. He's try, He is trying, he's maximum effort. Listen, as much as I beat him up, and I've said this before, uh, no one's going to be happier to see him have success than me because I, I I know that he's a freak athlete and all those things. But the devil's in the details, and he's going to need to clean up some of that stuff. And this could be a great opportunity, working over the middle, putting pressure on some of those linebackers to pick you up where maybe you're flashing in a run block and then peeling off on play action. Ingram could become a big factor there as well. Um what else before we dive into? Because I want we want to get to obviously what are our one giant matchup from each of our perspectives. I have one looking at the secondary of the Chicago Bears that was highlighted by Will. Do you have anything else though that we should know about this matchup before we get to that? No, I, I think I think it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, we're going to get into the matchups in a second, but I think alignment and personnel is going to be something that I want to I want to highlight moving forward get a little bit into what Chicago is going to be planning on doing against the Giants. Yeah. It's great that you're you're be, going to be focusing in on the secondary. 
I am actually going to be focusing a little bit more on uh, the running back for the Chicago Bears and their alignment and lineup and how they're going to go against this Giants defense. Because, by the way, coming out of that game, and we'll start with you on these key matchups, Montgomery goes 13 for 64, excuse me. Cohen came in with 7 for 41 as well in the running game. Touch over on to the receiving side of it. Just actually two catches for Tariq Cohen, so a little surprising there. Just one for Montgomery. So not necessarily as big of factors in in the pass catching out of the backfield, but consistent. You're talking about two guys that combine to get up over 100 yards. So the threat is real from this rushing attack of Chicago. Yeah. And, and what I wanted to highlight is uh, who you said, it's, you know, Montgomery. So David Montgomery averaged almost five yards to carry last week, looked pretty good. And the, and the reason why he did it is because uh, the Chicago bears lined up in the 12 personnel. Now everyone asking what is 12 personnel? 12 personnel means one running back two tight ends. And the reason why Chicago is lining up this way is because they really are excited about their tight end talent and their tight end depth. You know, you start with Jimmy Graham, you have Cole Kemet, who they they ended up using an early round draft pick on. You know, it, the running joke was that they had nine tight ends, mm-hmm. in, you know, during the offseason actually signed to the roster at some point. Um, you know, if you look at the difference between 2019 and, and 2020, they actually ran double the amount of 12 personnel in week one against uh, the Detroit Lions. So that is a big, big difference in, in their approach this year. You know, um, shout out to Windy City, Windy City Gridiron for giving me that little nugget about what's what's going on there. But I think, you know, you look at what the Giants did. The Giants actually struggled mightily against 12 personnel against the Steelers. James Conner was in. He looked like he was going to start getting it going. He got hurt. Benny Snell came in, was averaging, I think, five and a half, six, almost six yards a carry, had 113 yards on the ground. The Steelers were all over us and overpowering our, our defensive line you know, as they got later into the game. So Adam, for me, I'm very concerned about their ability to work with and work well under 12 personnel and our struggles against that lineup. Yeah. And you know, as, um, we, we talked about Will, as funny as it is, right? Jimmy Graham, the guy just keeps hanging around. You know, it seems like he's he's run out of some of those spots where he really was this big receiving threat, and he still is. But he's not. he's one of those guys you talk about of, well, he can be a contributor in blocking, you know, and then he has the threat of still catching that ball. So those are those kind of things where uh, how we're going to approach this with our front three and then our supplemental linebacker core, we're going to have to be able to punch through that 12 personnel, especially when they want to go left or right off tackle here, try to string us out and then hit that edge and make some big plays. Yeah, and, and th- it's so important because what we highlighted at the top of the show with Mitch Trubisky, if we can start getting pressure and we show that we can stop that 12 personnel and they can't just roll out two tight blocking tight ends and just pound the football, you're putting the ball in a guy's hand who is in the bottom three of starters across the entire league last year. And yeah. so, Adam, that's why it's so important for us to figure out how can we stop the run. I know – that is the basic fundamentals of football. But really, for us in this game, it is our opportunity to win. No, now, I, I, yep. Well, I was going to say, you know, now turning it over to you, you wanted to talk a little bit about the secondary. That was kind of my other piece that I was looking at, but I'm glad that you honed in on it. Talk to me about what you're seeing or, or what's concerning or, or what's the matchup to look at. 
Yeah, mentioned by Will again, uh, talk about Jalen Johnson. That was their second round pick, 50th overall. Go inside those numbers a little bit deeper from last week. Was targeted six times, surrendered just two receptions, played to a 75 pro football focus rating. Those are really high marks for a rookie coming out. You know, they have high expectations for him. He plays uh, across from Fuller in that secondary. And as we learned from Will, uh, from the the uh, Chicago Audible podcast, friendly reminder, it, you know, these guys don't really switch it up. So they stay on their sides of the field. So the matchup is going to be the matchup. I would think now you can basically probably say if we like that, we want to use Shepard over the middle and that feels good. We're not probably going to worry too much about if it's Fuller or if it's Johnson. But when I think about Darius Slayton and the deep ball opportunities for Daniel Jones, that's where I start to think that you may see the Giants' Jason Garrett try to manufacture getting Slayton onto the young rookie because you feel like it's an exploitable matchup there. So far, what we saw from the week one is that this kid may be able to stand up to that challenge. So when you get into this, we're really high on Slayton. We love what he's done going back to week five of last season. It's going to possibly be up to him to make a couple of those big catches, to get over the top on Johnson and start to create an issue for the secondary of Chicago, where again, you talk about the front and getting that pressure. All of a sudden, they got to think about maybe some zone looks, maybe some extra help over the top on Slayton. Now it starts to free up the middle of the field, whether it's Barkley out of the backfield, Shepard, Evan Ingram, right? All these complementary pieces inside of that receiving core for the New York football Giants starts out there on the outside with Slayton. He's got to make them earn that defense out there, and that can really start to dictate tempo for us on the offensive side. Well, and and their cornerbacks, both Johnson and Fuller, are six feet. So yep. they have really good size. So, it, you know, you don't look at it and say, oh, if we move Slayton around to the left or to the right, maybe we can pick up a matchup where he can get a jump ball or he's got a, a significantly smaller size corner against him. That is going to be tough. And it also kind of highlights the point of why Golden Tate is so important to get back on the field because if we have a credible threat on the other side, you're you know you can't have Fuller running around with Sterling Shepard. Someone else is going to have to cover him in nickel packages. To me, having the full complement of, of everyone out there is going to be so important in this game, specifically because their cornerbacks did look good in Week One. Yeah, and again, we know our receiving core. We're not a bunch of big guys. Basically, ours we're, we're skilled receivers. So to your point, right? This isn't matchup dependent as in, hey, throw one up high and we'll go get it. This You're going to have to beat them off the line. You're going to have to work with the hand checking. You're going to create separation in the route. So this is going to be, I think, on paper about examining the technical aspects of the game for our receivers. Are you doing the little things right so you create those pockets and then it's going to be about Daniel Jones stepping up, hitting you on the timing routes and making sure that we move those chains, especially early in this game. We talked about it with Pittsburgh. So much of this is going to be predicated on how do we look early? What kind of tempo are we playing with? Not belaboring it, but Evan Ingram got to catch those those early down passes, those third down conversions. That's what helps move the chains and keep us in our rhythm on that side of the ball as well. So listen, there's a lot of things that we can look for in this, obviously. But I think from that standpoint, now we're highlighting on both sides of the ball really here, a key area, one giant area, if, if, if you will. I like what you uh, did there. I like that. What you the, did yeah, there. it was subtle, but I lay it in there. That's, I'm smooth that way. Um, but the, the, these are the key things to kind of keep an eye on. There's going to be a lot of other stuff. We know the offensive line play, right? We, we know about those things. So this is that extra detail that on Sunday, if you see early success from Slayton and he's matched up against Johnson, that's a great first indicator. And if you see the defense getting around that 12 personnel and forcing adjustments for Chicago, that's going to be a great early indication as well. 
Uh, we're going to come back in. You can check in with us on Sunday. We're going to do some very brief episodes of the podcast where we're just hitting you with our predictions for the game, a couple of the big stat lines, and working our way through that Giants season series. Uh, we'll close out on this, though, Andy. Thursday night football wrapped up, and I I, I, I thought – Early there, there was a real there was a real tight pocket there where I got terribly concerned that the egg was going to be thickly strewn upon my face when I picked the Bengals uh, getting those six points. It ended up being a little bit closer, but there, there's some there's some hairy digits here by the time we get out of the back end of this thing. Was that when you texted me and said, I meant Browns, not Bengals? Was that when you were talking about like hairy? Just to be just to be fair, it was the hairiest of Harry's. Uh, just to be fair, I had already put the post on social media, so I was locked into the Bengals. We were having a playful uh, repartee, as they say. Uh, were you were you surprised just by by the points that got scored? I think on the back end, when we were texting. It was like, boy, if you really went back to week one and looked at these defenses, maybe we should have thought something like this could have happened. Uh, but obviously, I'm trailing in the Giants season series, but getting a little bit of steam when it comes to Thursday night. You know, this time I. I... I picked the right team to win, did not get the over-under right, did not cover the spread. Um, yeah, I was a little surprised that it, that it went under. I, I, I mean, uh, that it went over by so much. I thought it was going to be uh, a little bit of a slower game. You know, both of these defenses, I mean, it, it just goes to show to me that the Chargers can't really move the ball down the field because the Bengals' defense did not look good at all. And, like, the, the Chargers with Tyrod Taylor, they got some serious issues if they're only putting up 13, 16 points against this team. As we always say, right, you want to check in after the first three, four games, you know, quarter of the way through the season. This is really week one to week two, where then you flash back your point about the Chargers, right? You go, okay, so maybe I have more concerns about the Chargers than I realize, because as inconsistent and up and down as the Browns may look and probably will be all year, they didn't look inconsistent against the Bengals. You know, <laughs> they said, oh, what do you want to do? You want to go down the field and score? Sure, I can do that. You want me to hit an easy over the top to OBJ? Sure, I can do that. So th- that's how this balancing act, we, as we've said, no preseason games, et cetera. It's going to be hard to pin down teams very early in the season. The good news is my silver lining, although I'm down, I took the Browns in my survivor pool, which was a gutsy move. And you know what I like about it is that it's, it's Friday morning. I don't got to worry about the weekend. Everyone else has to stew over who they're going to pick. Oh, San Francisco must be a shoe in against the Jets. Everybody picks them, and I just sit back and relax. (laughs) So uh, as Andy kicks his feet up and uh, apparently isn't going to do any work today, uh, we we will be back in on Sunday. As I said, game predictions. Maybe we'll throw out a fantasy look that you want to take specifically out of that matchup. Maybe even a couple of extemporaneous thoughts around the actual uh, Sunday slate of games there. But other than that, friends, man, this is it. Starting on Monday is the official launch of what will now be coined the one giant vodcast. We're going to become a featured podcast slash video podcast over on the Sportscaster platform. You can follow us live there if you have the time and you want to watch us stare at each other. And then it's also going to be going out on Spotify. So new tweaks, new moves for this budding, billowing powerhouse of a pod vodcast that is known as One Giant. It is exciting times for us, Adam. I'm looking forward to it. Like you said, we're coming back in on Sunday with our predictions, but excited to give the people what they want. And tell them what they need to know. And as always, let's go Big Blue. Bang! Bang!